Hey everybody, it's me. It's your old buddy Steve Simonson, and here I am again doing a live session. Now I'm doing uh, the live session here on some of the social media channels and so forth, uh, but really I'm just doing a, a discussion and an awesomers episode about the the progress and some of the events and adventures, if you will, that are happening while I'm on this sourcing journey in India. Now, one of the things that uh, you may notice is that it's light out. Now, I know, for example, <laughs> some of the people in the United States, it's quite dark. Uh, it's very uh, not time-centric to the U.S., this particular broadcast. So if you are up and you are in Asia or um, possibly still late uh, in Europe and so forth, you're welcome to say hello. If you do leave a comment, I will try to say hi or uh, acknowledge that comment or, or answer any questions you have. Uh, but I have to admit that sometimes the StreamYard won't show all of those details to me. So uh, wherever you are, one and all, welcome uh, to the live viewers. And I'm, I'm just going to take you through some of the general sourcing lessons that we've learned here in India. Uh, but really, some of these lessons are relevant to sourcing anywhere. So this is kind of a, uh, a quick opener in the mini series of, you know, how do you do sourcing, especially on sites that may be unfamiliar with you, uh, unfamiliar to you. I'm not sure how you say that, but the point is, uh, I've, I'm not a super expert on India. I've been here a couple times and, uh, I have a team, uh, here in various areas for different businesses, but I'm definitely no expert. Like I don't know the geography as well as I know China or, uh, Vietnam even, and some of the other places that I've done business in longer. So there's lessons that I'm here to learn and relationships I'm here to build. And I'm going to just take you through some of those thoughts real quick. And this will turn into kind of a little sourcing in India mini series uh, as it goes. So first of all, I think India is amazing. Uh, no question, it's packed with potential. And the idea behind this little uh, India sourcing mini series is just to give you a glimpse of how things get going uh, when you're trying to develop more uh, resources and place more efforts in a particular geographic region. Now, I think particularly for the EU, India has exceptional uh, upside, but also for the U.S. as well. The, the shipping is not uh, demonstrably different uh, if you ship from India versus China. If anything, it's a little slower, particularly to the West Coast. And so that in itself might not be an advantage or a, a, a big reason to change, but the chance of stable supply line or the chance of perhaps lower prices or specialty items in certain industries, India can actually exceed what other countries can do. And that's a really important point. As you think about sourcing, as you think about manufacturing your own brand or your own product, going where the expertise is, going where the raw materials are, all of those things actually makes sense when you start thinking about India in certain, some categories. For example, in cotton textiles, they're absolutely dominating. There are, you know, every big box on the planet, whether in the U.S., EU, South America, you will be able to find lots and lots of cotton textiles of every kind, from apparel to bedding to, you know, uh, upholstery, etc. They grow a lot of cotton and they uh, spin it and, you know, make it into all kinds of different products. So that's a particular area of strength, for example, that I find here in India. And this is not uh, a surprise. Uh, that one is kind of well known. They're also quite good in glass. 
They're good in uh, metalworks. So anything that is like uh, iron-based, uh, even brass-based, these types of things uh, you're going to find pretty good resources. Uh, Ceramic-based stuff, handicraft stuff, all of these are kind of oriented towards an India advantage, whereas small electronics may inherently be uh, trending towards China at the moment. Now, in fairness, there are plenty of people who sell chips out of Shenzhen to India and other parts of the world, for that matter, to allow these other countries to become, uh, I would say, stronger and stronger in these uh, maybe categories that they're not yet known for dominating uh, on a global scale. So the, the, the possibilities are endless. So when I started my journey, I actually went to a public company here in India, and they uh, are of reasonable size. Uh, clearly in India, they're a uh, very significant size, and they're the number one player in their category. Um, as a global company, they're, they're not huge. Uh, they may be around 300 million uh, in revenue or whatever, but they're really, really uh, experts in marketing and, and really smart about how they, they put their brand messaging out there. And they have offices all over uh, the world, really. I mean, it, not in every country, but in enough countries to make them a global player. So they have offices in the United States and Singapore and the EU and, and so on and so forth. And their manufacturing is 100% done in India. Around half their business uh, is in domestic India market and half is overseas. And we actually went to them for a couple of reasons. They sell more than one type of uh, product. And we were going in to, to kind of see their capabilities and, and kind of vet their marketing story. This is part of the point of when you meet any manufacturer. People can say whatever they want. Uh, as always, I don't really listen to what they say. I watch what they do. And even more importantly, when you walk through a factory, you can see the materials, you can see the cleanliness, you can see a lot of details. And I'll get that uh, more into that in further parts of this mini series. So one thing I do want to point out is if you don't actually source yourself and you're just used to, you know, surf around Alibaba or online, you just don't understand how long it takes to get to places. I have been in cars and planes and, and everything else uh, for the better part of a week. It just takes a long time to do stuff. And I, I try to relish the journey, right? I can't love every second of, you know, a 14 or 18 hour day on, on slow roads or what have you, but I can appreciate the differences. And to the extent that you find yourself on the road uh, sourcing and so forth, just take a minute to acknowledge it's pretty fun. It's pretty interesting. You're pretty lucky to be there. I feel lucky, for example, when I get to do these things. And that that kind of opens up at least you to have a, a good day, right? If you're always running around and being frustrated about how long things take, that's no fun. My general process, by the way, is I will only schedule in, in let's say undeveloped countries, I'll only schedule one factory visit a day and then I will have um, other people come to the hotel at night. So early in the morning, I'll go out and do my factory visit and then, you know, I'll be back by three or four or five. And when, when I get back, then uh, I will arrange, depending on how much time I have left, to see other logistical or uh, maybe meeting a manufacturer that I haven't yet decided was worth going to the factory, kind of do a little pre-meeting meeting. 
and determine maybe maybe it's worth it or maybe I don't have time, but I want to start the relationship. Whatever those details are, I use the the day in that way. In China, if I'm in a particular region, I may be able to see three suppliers in a day. But in India, because of the distance between some of these places, one is about the max. Uh, in fact, I'm flying to see a manufacturer uh, tomorrow and I will fly to their city. We'll spend you know, the, the day with them and then at night I fly to a new city. So it's a very, very long day indeed. But my point is, it doesn't matter if you're on a plane or in a car, things take time. So just enjoy it and know that you shouldn't try to stretch yourself too far. You'll never get it all done. And, you know, I was in Delhi uh, the first few days of this trip and traffic's slow, right? It just takes time. And there's no point in getting frustrated about it. That's that's kind of where I'm headed. So the other thing I really am, I suggest or encourage you guys to think about is that relationships really are a currency. So although we have some contacts and people here in India already, we always want to deepen those relationships and our access to resources. And so we reached out to people all over the world, people in the UK, India, China, across the United States, Canada, wherever, that we had resources that we thought would have insights into doing business in India, including some of the team that I already have in India. And then they, particularly my team in India, reached out to their resources because some factories were non-responsive. They just you know, you, you sometimes you find people who are ready to do business. And I think in India, it's it's not an uncommon situation to find factories not being super responsive. Uh, the irony is the ones that are responsive, the ones that are ready to go and, and really get uh, aggressive. Those are the people that um, match up well with Western kind of temperament. And they kind of have an inherent advantage as a result because we especially Americans, we're really, um, I don't know, impatient, and we like to just get down to business. Uh, even Europeans are a little more of the get to know you, hey, how's your kids, that kind of thing. And Americans are like, no, I just need the, the details. Let's get it sorted. Let's get it done. And part of the reason is, just to give you a moment on American culture, is like I just want to get through all the stuff and then get to the enjoyment part, a lunch or a dinner or what have you instead of having to try to weave my way through my checklist through all the social stuff i get all the work done and then we try to enjoy ourselves but understanding that you know you have to pivot a little bit you may have to change just a hair because relationships are a currency that that we value and we focus on people who will only do business with people who share our values and and that kind of share our vision of the future uh when we see you know, the possibilities we want, we're really looking for partners that I can look back at the pictures. And I have many pictures like this that we've done business with them for 20 years. And we say, gosh, you remember back when we didn't know anything and, you know, we didn't know each other and, and we just got together and, and we have those pictures to reflect and, and think of how fun it is that, you know, here we are 20 years later and we're still working together in some capacity. That's the, expectation that I have. And that's the the objective that I have anytime I do sourcing is we want to build long-term relationships. So be, the fact that we want to do business with people who match our values means we don't do business with a-holes, liars, or cheats, right? That They're automatically voted off the island. And the truth is there's there's great people in every corner of the world. So there's no reason to compromise your values. There's no reason, even if somebody offers you what appears to be some short-term price advantage or uh, some other thing that that gives them maybe an advantage on paper, 
look carefully because those things tend to evaporate once you start doing business with them. We, we find all kinds of surprises, um, and we don't like that. So the other thing is, uh, you know, I serve my customers first. I have to look at everything through the lens of what's good for my customer. So as as great as it may be to, to think about, you know, gosh, if we started doing a lot of business with this factory, this series of factories, we could be a big impact to that factory and, and even their local community. You know, they may have 500 or 1,000 employees. And if we start buying, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars or even tens of millions of dollars a year, that could have a big impact on that community. And you start to, you know, get a little uh, full of yourself, maybe a little ego and go, oh, man, I could really make a difference. But we can't start with that. That has to be a byproduct of serving your customer, building a really good brand, making it profitable, because then it's sustainable. So uh, don't get it twisted. Don't get uh, mixed up that the priority has to be your customer delivering a world-class brand inside of the sales channel where you already have competition, right? Driving certain price structures or value propositions. You have marketplace rules that may have certain restrictions or requirements that you need to fulfill. There's all of these kind of external functions that you have to live up to to, sur to survive and make your customer happy. And you have to do all that profitably. When you find all that matching up and the factory is still economically viable and they match your values and so forth, that's when you found a winner. And that's why you continue on. So you can't lose sight of these uh, laws of economics. The customer will stay with you if you do the right job. And as I like to say, the products should be noteworthy and not like, oh, that was, you know, kind of a nice product, like literally worthy of making notes and note taking and telling people about how great this product was. That's what actually noteworthy means. And so we want customers to be able to have an experience where, you know, when they open the product or use the product or see the product, that they realize that we are delivering something of value and that they want to spread the word to their friends. My most successful businesses after the first year or two have more than 50% of the business coming from word of mouth. And that is, that's a, a testament to building for the customer first and then doing it profitably and then having the factory partners be winners along with you. That, that, Win, 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 right down the line. Um, and so we, we, whether it's a customer or a factory, we follow the golden rule. We treat somebody else the way we want to be treated. I don't walk around in a factory and act like a jerk or demand this or that. I'm just a guy. And I say, hey, you know, hey, nice to meet you. I wave at the people. And, you know, if they want to talk, I'll talk to them. And I, I want to learn about what they do. And you'll often find that, uh, you know, you can make somebody's day by just, you know, acknowledging what they're doing. And especially if you notice that they're doing a good job, you give them a little kudos, you know, they'll go home and they'll tell their family about that. and They'll have a, a really fun experience as a result. And that's, you know, when it's well-earned, why not? It's again, easy currency to share with. So, you know, we want to make sure that we treat somebody the same exact way we expect to be treated, which means, you know, with deserving of respect and, and, you know, the chance to earn trust and, and so forth in a relationship. So uh, again, part of sourcing, you know, as I drive all around uh, India this time, you know, one of the fun little experiences I drove by, we were stuck on the side of the road. We're off really in the dirt because the freeway was closed on one side because their farmers have, they've had a protest up. They literally have like little 
houses or tents or whatever built up, little structures built up on the freeway. They've had them there for a year. And this entire freeway is blocked. And so they, to keep the traffic moving, the police have routed into the other side of the freeway, you know, a little bit of the traffic. Now, I didn't get into the politics of what the farmers want and why the government won't give it to them or vice versa. But it's just one of those things that it's been happening for a year. That particular freeway has been closed for a year. So we went, you know, almost no miles an hour for a long time because we're off on the side of the road with a, a bunch of other people who are being rerouted. And that's just, that's the fun of it. Um, I, seeing lots of interesting things, you know, with the people stacked up on the, the tops of buses, you know, we're doing 60 miles an hour of the road and there's 25 or 30 people just on top of a bus, just hanging on. And that's something unique to me, right? That's something unfamiliar. And it just, you know, reminds us, you know, there are differences as we go around the world. And in those differences, I find it quite valuable to find perspective and to take uh, appreciation for what I have, uh, but also to not say what I have is any better than anybody else or any worse than anybody else. It's just different. And I appreciate those differences, honestly. I really do. So before we go on this first mini series, when you go to a factory, here are some key questions that I want you guys to think about asking. And often this starts in the car ride, right? So the I always encourage the factory to send us transportation. And the, the primary contact is generally in the car and they'll go on that hour, two hour, four hour ride with me. And we'll, we'll start the relationship and I ask them about them. Hey, how long have you been with the factory? Uh, what's your background before that? Um, you know, what's your expertise? They, you know, people like to talk about themselves. They like to talk about their education and so forth. And, and it's enlightening to me to understand who I'm dealing with and, and their level of expertise. Uh, and I've met some extraordinary people, you know, one of the guys I met, he's been with the company for, you know, nearly two decades and just really uh, spectacular. And then I met two young ladies. They're only with the company three months, but they've got these, you know, masters in forestry science. And, you know, this happens to be a wood related product. And they were, you know, boom, really detailed about every little detail about these wood species that I want to know about from Africa and this and that. And, uh, certain protocols and procedures. And, you know, so every single person, regardless of their tenure, had a great deal to offer. So anyway, some of these basic questions can engage the conversation. You know, I, I guess I've mentioned how long you've been with the factory background. What's the factory history? How long have they, you know, factory itself been around? Uh, how many employees does the factory have? Uh, what are the hours of operation? Uh, what's the total capacity they can produce in terms of containers or you know, whatever the appropriate metric is for your product. Uh, and how much of that capacity is available, right? That's relevant. Right? Do they even have the ability to take on stuff? One of the people, one of the factories I wanted to see here in India, they don't have any capacity. And so there's no point in me flying all the way around, uh, you know, here and there to, to see them if they can't take on clients for the next six months plus. It's just not worth today's investment because there's, Today, there's urgency and we want to meet with people who have the time and have the capacity. Uh, does the factory have any current customers in my primary target market, uh, the geography, for example? So if my main market is the United States, are you shipping to the United States? If it's UK or Canada or wherever, Australia, find out if they're already shipping to those areas. And if not, why not? Right? Not not in a judgy way, just kind of a what what's the obstacle or 
Um, and, and by the way, I've had these exact conversations this week. So this is, I'm not telling you something I don't put into practice in real life. Uh, I also like to know the percent of export versus domestic sales. So many people in China are 100% exports. Some people in India are 100% exports. Uh, but I do find many of them are kind of uh, more balanced, 50-50. Uh, and, you know, that seems uh, – none of that actually matters to me, but I just like to know – I like to know because all of these are like dots. When you're sourcing, you, you line up a bunch of dots, and then later you connect the dots to, to understand the story for this particular factory, resource, what have you. Um, I will also ask things like, you know, what are your best sellers? Uh, do you see any new emerging trends? Uh, is there a specific skill or factory attribute that sets you apart from your competition, right? These differentiating factors. And all of this is just the beginning of the process to understand who am I dealing with on a personal level? How's the factory, um, you know, on a professional level? And then, of course, I go in and I, I verify. And I'll be honest, if I start to sense that I'm getting answers that may not be, uh, well, we'll just say truthful, uh, then I ask the question multiple different ways during the, the day, and I kind of compare the answers. Um, and just a little pro, pro hack, I use Evernote as I go through the day, and I make notes in Evernote. I take the pictures. I'll even make audio notes or what have, uh, whatever I need to do during that uh, process. Uh, that's another great way, to, by the way, to do trade shows. If you use Evernote, you're taking pictures, you're scanning business cards, you keep it all together, and then later we will input all that information into our ERP system. So that's just the beginning. I don't want you to forget that there's a personal aspect of dealing with factories and a technical aspect, and both of them have to be there for you to be successful. And that, you know, it doesn't matter if you're in India or China or anywhere else in the world sourcing. All of these things are, in fact, relevant. Now, I haven't had time to look to see if you guys have put any chats or comments in, uh, and I've got to wrap it up now. I'm, I'm against the clock uh, because I have more meetings, and it's still daytime here in India. So I uh, will do another you know, part. Uh, I don't know how many parts yet in the mini series, but this is part one and I'll at least do a part two and probably a part three uh, as we go. And you guys can go to empowery.com and read the, the first blog article uh, that I wrote about this that just kind of recaptures some of these things. Uh, definitely check out empowery.com. And by the way, if you're in America, um, when you're on empowery.com, search for Festivus and come to that uh, event we're having and we can talk about this stuff in person. It is an extraordinary uh, opportunity. VIP tickets, only 199 bucks. You won't find a better deal than that. So I uh, look forward to seeing everybody somewhere in the world. And thank you again, awesomers, one and all. I appreciate you and, and can't wait to see you somewhere in the world. Bye-bye, everybody.